Good morning, Emmanuel. So glad that you're with us today, whether you're uh, in this room with us or if you're joining us online, thank you uh, for being part of the Emmanuel family. Um, we have a lot going on today, and we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, first and foremost, that our God is sovereign. He is on the throne, um, and he's in control of everything. Um, so let's just stand and praise him. <laughs> God, my Redeemer, my hiding place, my safe refuge, no other name like Jesus, no power can stand against me, my feet are planted on this rock, and I will not be shaken, my hope it comes from you. 
are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All right. What a full morning we have. We, um, the, the service will be followed up today by a brief uh, meeting of approval, of a vote of approval for our, our uh, next budget for the next coming calendar year. And so please stick around for that if you call Emmanuel your home and you're a member here. And unplanned by me, this sermon is actually about money. It's almost as if, as Jim said, God knows what he's doing. Philippians 4. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4. This will conclude our sermon series on the book of Philippians, which I hope has been of ministry, ministry to your heart, that has uh, uh, really helped you understand Jesus, his life, and our participation in his story, as his story kind of becomes our story through the help of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he ends here uh, with addressing the financial gift that the church of Philippi had sent him. So, verses 10 through 23, let's read this together. This is the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, a fragrant offering, a, sacrificial acceptable, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It is kind of humorous how, uh, as unplanned as this was, this sermon is addressing money and giving and sacrificial offerings. And yes, um, well, naturally, no, that was not by design. But secondly, I am not afraid to talk about money. If you're sitting here squirming or if you're visiting, you're like, oh, this church must always talk about money and, you know, uh, and you're like uncomfortable. Uh, well, money is a coveted thing in our American society. Uh, money for Americans plays uh, such massive roles in identity and value and self-worth. The have, have not, so many categories in our nation are actually defined by money. And yes, ever since the beginning, ministry and church ministry cost money. People who claim, no, the New Testament doesn't have anything about 
tithing in it. Um, no, not formally speaking. That 10%, which the tithe means, is, is, is found in the Old Testament. For, uh, it's a different sermon for a different day. But as the early church was getting organized, and there were still in-house churches, ministers like Paul needed financial support, even though he was also a tent maker. Churches had needs in Jerusalem, and Paul gathered up financial contributions for them to send over. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Even Jesus himself had financial supporters. Maybe you didn't know that. Luke gives us a list of those who contributed to Jesus' ministry out of their own pockets in Luke 8. They all happen to be women. It must also be said that formal offerings to a church is not the only form of generosity, of financial generosity. In fact, I am a very firm believer in that giving a financial offering to the church is but one path of generosity that we as Christians are called in terms of our support of gospel ministry. When you have neighbors in need, when you see the homeless man or a woman on the side of the street helping a family helping a friend in financial need. My kids are uh, the loudest ones when we see somebody on the street corner with a sign saying, Daddy, can you stop? Do we have anything in the car? Right? All those things can be done as an offering unto the Lord. And if you are uncomfortable talking about money, um, I can say the fact that you feel awkward might actually be a problem. If there's anything in America that we cling to most is ours. And something that we can say, no one can tell me what to do with my money. That's none of your business. We work and we earn it, and we imagine in that scenario that whatever our hands work at, the fruit of our paycheck belongs to us and us alone. But let's not feel awkward talking about money. The sermon will not only be about giving to the church, it will be concerning financial generosity towards gospel ministry in general. Yes, churches talking about money can make you feel uncomfortable because we all know so many churches have abused that. We hear stories of embezzlement and stories of pastors worth $100 million and all this kind of stuff, but we can't let their abuse of it negate the fact that the Bible has much to say about money about our use of it. <clears throat> because we all know, especially in our day and age in America, money can be an idol. And we need to talk about idols because it can be worshipped as a false god, even by the best of us. I'm also aware that my salary is paid, bo- paid for by your offerings. I have the old-fashioned job of an honorarium. I don't actually make money in that regard. I don't produce a product that somebody or a service that somebody comes and they pay for, right? I'm not backhandedly by this sermon looking for some kind of raise, okay? So um, I, I'm not afraid if I had to work a second job or something to serve our church here financially. This sermon is not about me by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sorry that if anybody's mind even went there, that we have those preachers who have corrupted the reputation of pastoral ministry and have somehow fashioned it as if it is about money. But anyway, let's dive in this sermon. Let's go ahead. Um, It's going to be both about the giver and the receiver and the heart and the motivations behind giving. Paul, in a sort of funny way, he says basically, thanks, but I didn't need it. Yeah, thanks again, but no, that was okay, but thanks. He kind of goes back and forth as he addresses this gift that was delivered to him by a man named Epaphroditus. The gift was for the church at Philippi, and it was probably something like food or clothing or maybe a financial gift, just a wad of cash. 
as the book of Philippians thus far has been the concern, has been uh, concerning essentially joy in us being conformed to Jesus and the patterns of his life and allowing the very patterns of his life to become our patterns of living, that he took on flesh, having it all in heaven and set it aside and took on flesh and entered the lowest social status that could be found in the Roman Empire, becoming nothing, dying in our place on the cross, only to be exalted after his humiliation. Our generosity follows that same pattern, as we will see. So a brief roadmap is going to be verses 10 through 13, the gift, Paul's contentment and satisfaction with or without the gift. In verses 14 through 20, the giver. Paul seeks the blessings of the givers before the gift itself. So let us pray over God's word. Jesus, we pray that uh, you would minister to us, Lord. Give us soft hearts to receive what this word has for us, Lord. Give us open ears to listen to your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you through your word this morning. May we be listeners and receivers for the purpose of transformation, Lord. We love you so much. We pray this in your good name. Amen. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that at now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am being, uh, speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be bound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you pay attention to Paul's words and his choice of words, he seems to almost sidestep the obvious word, which is thank you. He skirts it, right? Instead of saying thank thanks guys, but seems to walk in this kind of interesting digression of comments about the gift and the nature of giving. He, uh, he was fine without it, yeah, but still recognizing the kindness in it, as well as what Paul really is thankful for, which isn't really the gift as it is as about the blessings that the giver will receive because of their generosity by God. Indeed, he is writing as pastor Paul. Don't forget, Paul is a pastor. He wants them first to know that he is content in whatever situation he is in. Whether it is a situation of abundance or a situation of great need, being high or being low, having plenty of meals or missing meals, being in abundance or being in need, Paul says he's learned the secret. Now, the exact nature of that secret seems to be the secret of being content with either or of those circumstances. And a few things can be gathered from this, is this, this non-circumstantial contentment. Paul wants them to know that his joy and contentment in life is not dependent on what he has or does not have, <clears throat> hot meals or no hot meals, being in comfortable, abounding places in life, as he writes this, being in prison. His contentment is not based on how much he has or does not have in his bank account. There's some other New Testament scriptures that help us here. In Ephesians 5.20, Paul said, Always giving thanks for all things on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. All things. Not just the easy and the abundant seasons, but the challenging and the non-ideal seasons. Learning always to give thanks is the secret of being content. Now, this is a very hard thing to learn, 
But if we can learn this, especially concerning our money, you know what begins to happen in our hearts? Money becomes something your heart is not married to. You are not married to it because you are not dependent on it for happiness or contentment. If you have some money, great. If you have little and life is hard, you have still, through the Spirit, the availability of being content because you know there is a good God who has promised to care for you, who went into flesh and traveled into the very depths of our existence by becoming a man and showed his love for us by dying the death we were supposed to die and furthermore was raised to walk in newness of life. He has promised us that he loves us even more than the birds that he provides for day to day. Contentment in him is an exercise of faith, of hope, in life or death. Because life can be awful challenging with little money when you are missing essentials for living. But Paul is writing this while he is in prison, mind you. It says that even concerning our Lord Jesus, with joy he went to the cross, despising the shame. In Christ, anything is possible beneath the harshest of circumstances. It is up to you, working together with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, to grab hold of this. Are you content this morning? Did you come here bearing complaints about where life has brought you? Are you jealous of what you don't have? Or even with the things you do have, do you live in the constant desire of more? Why is it that in our age... Families are getting smaller while our homes are getting larger. The cost of living is always going up. The expectations of what we should or should not have is always ever increasing a commentary on the human condition. We simply are never satisfied with what we have. And the scriptures open up the possibility to find contentment with whatever you do have. 1 Timothy 6, this famous verse is, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we were brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves in many pangs. The most assuredly way to be discontent and to be miserable in life is to love money above all things. In fact, if you lack contentment, it probably means that you are worshiping something that is not God as if it was God. And whatever you are worshiping is simply never going to deliver the things that God only can deliver. This is a passage from a famous commencement speech given to a college graduate class by the now deceased David Foster Wallace. It is titled, This is Water. Really encourage you guys to read the whole thing. Fascinating. He is not a Christian. He was a skeptic at best. Okay? This is what he had to say in this commencement speech. Here is something else that is weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such things as not worshiping because everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type to worship, he's speaking as a non-Christian here, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough 
Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body in beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that not that they're necessarily evil or sinful, but they are unconscious, they are default settings in our humanity. Amazing, really honest words from somebody even outside of God's church, right? The secret to contentment, especially circumstantial and financial contentment then, begins with not bowing down to money as a God. The secret to generosity is releasing forms of worship in our hearts towards the ultimate and almighty dollar because it will never deliver. But I don't think it was that simple, right? Because we know that we all struggle with this to some degree. Paul then moves on to the second portion of the letter which will hone in more on the giving of the gifts and the offerings, the giver and the offerings to gospel ministry. Verse 14 says this, It was kind for you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel of the good news when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gifts, But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here Paul mentions that the Philippians had entered into a partnership with him in giving and receiving, even when no other church had. They were kind to share his troubles and had done so on multiple occasions. And then Paul puts on his pastor hat again after recognizing their committed generosity to him. And he says, but your gift was not my primary joy, was not even my primary concern. I'm even more happy for what's coming your way and the blessing that comes from generosity. As Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He says, I've received full help and payment. That's his receipt, right? He's like, I got it all. I got more than I even need through Epaphroditus who sent it. But these gifts weren't even unto me. They were unto God as a sacrificial offering unto him. Know that just as you have supplied my needs, that God has promised to supply your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to unpack this a little bit because there's a lot here. I want to slow down and ask a few questions. Why did the Philippians give this gift to Paul? We can assume that it was due to the gospel ministry that he was engaged in and the hard times he had as a result of his ministry in prison, that he wound up in prison. Uh, The Roman prisons were not like our prisons. He didn't have TV or workout rooms or a library to draw from, right? Uh, He was on his own, and he needed some support and some help from his churches, even though he found contentment even in the midst of his harsh circumstances. Did they have pure motives? We don't quite know. They seem to have entered into a commitment previously or some kind of agreement with Paul, kind of shaking hands saying, we, we got you, Paul. We're financially going to back you as you're out and about planting churches and doing ministry all across the Roman Empire. If you need anything, please let us know because we got your back. 
But Paul reveals here this, this idea of love God and love others. It kind of comes into play with a summary of the Bible, loving God and loving others with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Their giving was ultimately a fragrant offering unto God, and Paul's focus wasn't really the gift, but it was the giver. He was more excited about them than the gift. In general, it was God and it was others. You see how the gift is almost overlooked here, as if Paul's trying to sidestep it, right? Because the primary focus for each party was not themselves, but God and others. Their generosity was aimed ultimately at God, giving it unto him for the sake of his ministry that was happening through Paul. And Paul was happy for the fruit that will come to them for their generosity. Oftentimes, generosity to churches and to ministry and other causes have strings attached. Or we bring those strings, at least. And sometimes they can be complicated. I've seen that happen in various ways in ministry. One that is largely unfortunate, which I don't know if I've ever heard, I don't know, I'm going to say it out loud. Uh, I don't really like the fact that you guys, that we, that me, that we get tax write-offs for our donations. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's just another thing that can potentially cloud our motives. Is it not? Right? Why do you give to Emmanuel? Why do you give to other, say, nonprofits, other church ministries and missionaries? Yes, you may get a tax write-off, but what is the first motivation? Is it the Lord? Is it his gospel ministry? Or is it how it benefits you? Here's a question for us to wrestle with. Would you give whatever amount you give towards ministry or towards Emmanuel if you did not get a tax write-off? I hope the answer would be a resounding yes. But if not, ask yourself, who are you really giving to then? Are you giving unto God? Or are you really giving for yourself or to yourself? Do you give money here or elsewhere? Are you generous here or elsewhere in hopes that you maybe could have influence or gain prominence or be favored by your pastor and bad news is I don't see your dollar amounts and so hate to break it to you, that's not going to work here. There is a story told by Pastor Timothy Keller in his book, The Particle God. That it's like a parable that describes this very well. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and he said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to the king, he said, Wait! You are clearly a good steward of this earth. I own a plot of land that's to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard this. And he said, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman come before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My Lord, I breed horses. This is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my respect and my love. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrots, but you were giving yourself the horse. It is possible to give a financial offering to the church, but are actually giving it to yourself. Is that you this morning? The key here is not to bow down to the God of money. 
The most important thing to learn as a church and as a congregate, as a Christian, is to be content in all things, content in little, content in much. Therefore, when you give money, you are giving it not to primarily benefit yourself in any way, but to benefit the gospel ministry with a mindset of a partnership. Your money is just part of your partnership, of your membership here as God's family, to join us at Emmanuel and to join the other needs that surround us in our community, to see the gospel go forth and shine in Wilmington and beyond, regardless of what benefits you may or may not receive from it. So let's be honest here at Emmanuel. All right, we are blessed with one of the, I think, the largest church facilities in the city. We have no mortgage here, but you can imagine that it's not cheap to care for this facility. A large portion of our budget does not, or does go toward the building and maintenance to keep it usable and to keep it nice. The point then of the money it takes to upkeep the building should not be to merely upkeep the building. The building is only a vehicle in which gospel ministry can take place. It is only a vehicle to worship Jesus and to love our community with. It is only something to be leveraged for the gospel. We must open up these doors to our community. Just yesterday, there was a funeral in here because during COVID, funeral homes have, are having a hard time with having people in with a matter out of right amount of social distancing. The public library is hosting events here. Um, because they had the same issues. This building then can become a part of the fabric of our community. As we say, Jesus blessed us with this beautiful place, and we give money towards this upkeep, but it is not ours. It belongs to the Lord, and just as he gave himself up for us, we want to give this building up for the sake of our community as a small way just to show you Jesus does love you. Emmanuel, if we are not willing to do this, if we're not willing to share a beautiful building with the community, well, can we find somewhere else cheaper to worship in? Because this place costs us a lot of money. The vast majority of this property right now, it does stand empty week to week, unused. Let's open this place up to our community in generosity in hopes that all the feet and traffic that will increase in this place will create a bond of trust between us and the community. And when things get rough, because they will, in people's families and lives, things will get rough. And those people who don't have a church that start seeking answers, they may look back and say, you know what, I remember that one church that just opened up their doors to this public, this community event or this thing, and they were awful kind and generous. I wonder if they would accept me, accept me if I were to walk in those doors. I wonder if I could walk in there and, and find some answers to some of the things I'm seeking. In historic churches across our nations that are in tight spots, it has been often when they begin being generous to their community through the offering up of their facility for its use, do they see more health and growth and vitality start coming to their church. So as we close here, a few more questions as we wrap things up. Are you discontent this morning? Is it because you have bowed down to the God of money, materials, or things? Do you feel as if you need more? How can you replace your hope in money with the hope of Jesus to provide? Number two, are you stingy with what you have? Do you come here week to week and never give a dollar? Do you never give generously to any needs that surround us in our community? Do you want to see the gospel go out into our community, but are you unwilling to help sponsor that and help to finance that? Do we have a missionary here who just shared some amazing stories with us? Are you willing to open up your hand and generosity towards her to support her in her ministry? All the ministry in the New Testament, it did cost money. 
and people gave out of their means to support it. Even Jesus had his own supporters. Why are you unwilling to do so? Are you stingy with your money towards needs in our community, towards needs in your own family, towards needs with your own friends? Could it be that God has given you a little more and others in your life a little less in order that through your generosity towards them that you may be a living example of Jesus' generosity towards us? 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That by, uh, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And the last thing, do you give for the wrong reasons? Do you give towards Emmanuel and towards others' uh, needs in your life in order that you may get something out of it? Would you give to Emmanuel even if it meant you did not receive the text right off? Would you give even anonymously? to Emmanuel, or the challenge your own heart if you struggle with that, and knowing that you're giving us into the Lord, and he will indeed bless the giver. True biblical generosity is not about you. It is not about what you get out of it. There is indeed blessing in store for the giver, and oftentimes that blessing is simply the joy that comes from the open hand of generosity. And if you're here this morning, and you're in need, and you're embarrassed to share it, do not leave these doors without sharing it. We want to take care of our own here first at Emmanuel. We even try, try to set aside money for that as much as we can. Please don't leave here if you need something this morning. I want Emmanuel to be known for our generosity, for our open hand of giving towards gospel ministry, and towards the need in our city. We will close with the closing words of the book. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you, with me, greet you. And all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. And call the worship team up as we pray. Get ready to close our service. Jesus, we thank you for um, your son and the example of having everything yet setting it aside in order to come down and reach down and to save us and to restore us and to bring us new life. And upon his resurrection and ascension and exaltation to then send us his spirit to fill us, to give us new life now, to give us the glimpse of eternal life even now. And Lord, you have equipped us with your spirit in order that we may be a glimpse of heaven on earth, that we may be a heavenly colony here in Wilmington. And Lord, your generosity is unfathomable towards us. And Lord, I pray that even for us who it's hard to give, that we don't even have a whole lot to give, that Lord, you would challenge us and push us to give even until it hurts, that we may gain the reputation like you have of being generous people, of being a generous and loving people that are willing to step into the knees that surround them in the name of you, Lord, because you have stepped into our life. May we be willing to do the same to those around us, Lord. I pray for a generous spirit at Emmanuel to fund the gospel ministry in this unique season in our nation where ministry is probably at an all-time high in unique ways. Lord, we want to be ready and prepared, however that might mean. And Lord, would you equip us with the finances, Lord, to serve our community when those needs arise. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray this in your good name. Amen.